Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Again, welcome to the Grove Church. If we've not yet met, my name is Christian Williams, and I'm the lead pastor of the Grove. We're continuing our Have Courage series today, and I want to start and ask you, do you ever look at something and not see what's really there? There's a phenomenon in the art world where this happens all the time. Artists embed a a 3D image inside a 2D picture, and the the 3D image is there, but you can't see it at first glance. Here's an example. It's called a stereogram. You can take a look at that. You you ever seen one of those, right? You you often, especially maybe a decade or two ago, you'd find them everywhere in museums and and shopping malls especially, right? People put them out to try to get you to stop and and look and then look into the store and buy stuff. Uh, You can also find them in art stores. and sometimes when you walk by one of these pictures, it tells you what to look for. Um, and other times they're just expecting you to try to figure it out. And what happens here is that when presented with an image like this, your eyes might each look at two different points, but because the image is a repeating pattern, the brain is tricked into thinking that the two spots are the same thing. And so the brain then, uh, if, if you figure it out, the brain perceives depth and with the two points as being on a, a virtual plane behind the pattern. That's how you're kind of able to, to see it. But a lot of people can't see the image, and I'll tell you why later, but when two people are looking together, inevitably one of them says to the other, do you see it? And that's the question that Jesus is asking us today. Do you see? Because not seeing what's there not only happens in the art world, it happens in the spiritual world. It happens with Jesus. And, and so as we get started, I just want to remind us that uh, this first point that we're all prone to look without seeing. Okay? Jesus hits on this a number of times in his ministry and, uh, in relation to him, but it, it's true in all kinds of stuff, right? We're, we're all prone to look at something and not really notice what's there or what has taken place or, or the significance of what we're looking at. And at first glance, when you look at Jesus, you don't see all that's there. And if you don't look long enough, if we don't stare at him in a, a different way, we'll have a limited view that will prevent us from seeing how incredible, how powerful, how compassionate, how glorious he is, and miss out on experiencing the life that he offers us. So. We want to see clearly. That's what we want to look at today. So I ask you, what image do you have of Jesus? We talked a couple weeks ago about the difference between sort of 2D flannel uh, images of Jesus as well as just that that kind of majestic view of Jesus that we might compare him to uh, a bursting star or, or this bursting cosmic phenomenon. It's so important that we get this right. So I want to take you on a sort of museum tour, in a sense, to see a couple masterpiece images of Jesus revealed in the Gospel of Mark that will allow us to see him more clearly. We're five weeks into this series, like I mentioned, called Have Courage, and we've been looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of Mark's testimony. And Jesus burst onto the scene with this new kind of teaching, a a new kind of ministry, and a, a new invitation to connect 
with God and experience his kingdom. And his teaching had authority, his ministry had power, and his invitation had universal appeal. It, it cut through all kinds of barriers that had been there before, and people of all sorts were flocking to him to, to learn about who he was. And up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, as we've been about six chapters in so far, uh, he's been wildly popular. The, the things that he said, the miracles that he performed, he, he pretty much eliminated, uh, eliminated uh, sickness in Palestine or, or that area of the, the world over the three years. Um, but things are getting ready to turn. I want you to keep in mind that everything is moving to a moment of conflict where the religious leaders, threatened with losing their power, will sway the people to turn on Jesus, and all things will culminate in the crucifixion of Jesus on a Roman cross. Now, we're, we're picking up in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We're going to kind of scan, like we've been doing the last few weeks, scan a, a large chunk. We're going to move our way through from Mark 6, chapter, or verse 30, to Mark 9, verse 29. That's kind of the, the boundaries or the framework of what we're looking at today. And, and there's some incredible pictures of Jesus on Mark's canvas in this section that, that covers those few chapters. We see in, in that section Jesus as one who walks on water. We see Jesus as the liberator from legalism. Jesus, once again, is the healer of the demon-possessed or the demonized. Jesus is the giver of sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Jesus is the challenger of religious hypocrisy. And what we see is Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He was the prophet that the prophets spoke of, that they were pointing towards. And, and he speaks forth for God because he is God. And throughout this gospel, you may have uh, noticed that Jesus uses every moment to reveal himself more fully to his disciples because, like us, they don't always see things clearly. So, I want us to, to look at these two particular pictures that Mark paints that will help us see Jesus more clearly and be able to fully appreciate the, the art that he wants to create really in our own lives. And so here's the first picture, the first thing we need to, to understand. Uh, as we understand our own limitations in seeing, we need to know that Jesus sees things in a way we don't, but he sees things in a way that we can. Okay? Jesus sees things in a way we don't, but can. We can see things the way Jesus does to a certain degree. And so this first picture is of Jesus feeding 4,000. Um, feeding the 4,000. We, we looked a few weeks ago in a, a different series of Jesus feeding 5,000. This is after that first miracle of, of feeding this huge group. And by 4,000, we mean 4,000 men. So the, the likelihood is that this is a, a group even larger uh, than just 4,000. And this picture is found in Mark 8, verses 1 through 21. It was not uncommon for crowds of thousands of people to flock to Jesus for his teaching and miracles. And, and again, this was a, a day in which that had taken place. And actually, this had been going on for three days. Jesus had been teaching over the course of many days. And Jesus finishes speaking, and he turns to his disciples. Listen to what he says. He says, I have compassion on the crowd, in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come 
a long distance. Okay, so they've been following him. They, they may be packed and they had some food that allowed them to be sustained for the last couple days. But Jesus realizes, man, the supplies are running low. And if I even just send them home at this point, uh, they're not going to be in good shape. We got to take care of this. And, and so what we see is Jesus isn't just a leader and teacher, miracle worker. He's a shepherd. He really does care about people. The, the word that Mark uses here, it's translated compassion. It's a Greek word. Uh, it's a, just kind of a fun word to say, splagnitsomai, splagnitsomai, okay? Uh, it, it means to be moved on the inside, to feel something in the deepest place of human emotion, our gut, right? When you say splagnitsomai, it kind of seems like maybe you're saying my guts. That's, that's what's going on. Jesus feels this deeply. Uh, compassion for these people. And his emotion moves him to action. Jesus tells his disciples that he wants to feed them. And, and that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, like, okay, that makes sense. I mean, and, and here's the deal. They've seen this play before. He's, he's run this play before. And so, uh, of course, they, they tell everyone, okay, everybody, this is how this goes. You sit down and you get ready for a miracle because Jesus is about to do something awesome. You know, just get ready for it. Except that's not what happened. That's not even close. Instead, listen to what they, they say to Jesus. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed this, these people? Wait, what? Like, don't you guys remember that Jesus fed like thousands upon thousands just a little while back? You were right there. Listen to what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? He asked them. And they reply, there in verse 5, 7. Okay, so, I mean, verse 5, they reply, 7. Well, we have seven loaves. And so, here's Jesus responding, even though they've forgotten his power. And Jesus essentially says to them, look, have courage. Cheer up. There's plenty of food for everyone. So he sits the people down. He takes these seven loaves. And, and it, we're told a, a few fish, Verse there in, in uh, verse 6. Uh, he takes seven loaves and uh, he, he sits everybody down, gives thanks, he gives them to the disciples. And, and these limited resources are miraculously multiplied by Jesus so that the disciples handed out enough for these 4,000 or more people to eat. And, and there were leftovers. And so what's going on here in this picture? I, I want you to, I just want to show you this contrast between the way maybe people there were seeing things and the way Jesus sees things and, and how it relates to us, right? The disciples in this scenario, what did they see? They saw people who needed to be sent away, right? That's what they saw. And they saw an impossibility. But, but Jesus, he saw people who needed to be fed. And he saw an opportunity, right? They saw people who needed to be sent away. He saw people who needed to be fed. They saw an impossibility, Jesus saw an opportunity, an opportunity to reveal both to his disciples as well as to these, these newer disciples that were following him, these people that were investigating who he was, to give them a glimpse of who he really was and what he was capable of, an opportunity to show compassion to them. And in the same way, very often as we look at some of the different scenarios in our life, we see someone who messed up. We, we see uh, a drain on our resources. We look at a certain situation and say, that's an infringement on our time. Or, or we look at what's available and we say, man, that's not enough to really matter. But Jesus sees differently. Jesus sees someone who deserves a second chance. Um, 
not because of us, but, but because he wants to give people a second chance, because he's made that possible. We looked at that a few weeks ago, idea of a do-over. Uh, Jesus sees that, that we have the opportunity to use what God gave us rather than it just be a, seen as a drain on our resources. In fact, they're God's resources, so we can use what God gave us. He sees, instead of an infringement, an investment in eternity. Yeah, it's going to take time, but it's an opportunity to invest in eternity. And again, not enough to really matter. Well, Jesus sees a resource in God's hand that then can be transformed into a whole lot. Jesus sees differently than we do. He sees differently than the disciples did at that point. And here's the point. Later, when the disciples are alone with Jesus and they're kind of debriefing the day, Jesus, knowing they aren't really grasping who he really is, he asks them this question, verse 18. This is later. And he says, Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? Right? He's going back. He, you know, he's, he's taking care of them, but, but they need to learn something. And so do we. And so he takes them back. And he's saying, Are you looking at me with the wrong focus? With the wrong expectation? And, and have you not yet learned? This is a penetrating question, right? I mean, isn't that us? There's a sense that no matter what we've seen Jesus do in the past, we, we don't fully grasp his power. We don't fully understand who he is. We don't fully trust him in the present. This can be true of all of us, even though we've maybe seen him do amazing things. Maybe not something in our minds that's on the scale of feeding 4,000 out of seven loaves, but, but we know he's done those kinds of things. And if he's transformed us, then we know what he's capable of. So this question for them, in a sense, it's a rebuke. But, but the question's not meant to shame. It's meant to cause, it was meant to cause them, and it's meant to cause us to examine, to reflect, and to recall what we've seen him do, and to bring that forward to our current moment of trial, distress, failure, or, or a sense of defeat. Jesus wants us to see who he is, what he's done, and allow that to inform how we see the moment. Do you, do you see that? There's a popular song that's being sung really all around the world. We, we've sung it here at the Grove. We're going to sing it later in our service. But I, I want it reminds us of this. And I want us just to rehearse a, a few of these lyrics, right? Uh, the lyric goes like this. You are, talking about God, waymaker. You're a miracle worker. You're promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Right? We need to be reminded of who God is, of who Jesus is, of what he's done. We need those reminders. That's part of why we sing, we, because we forget. Right? We, we can forget who God is. And, and I think that's, that's true, again, of all of us. Right? Maybe you're in a dry season right now. Maybe you've, you've lost your, you know, your passion or you just lost kind of a, a, a real zeal to know and walk with the Lord. You know, things just feel pretty, pretty not just dry, but, but sort of apathetic. And maybe you haven't felt God's presence in a long time. You've just been aware of that sense of, man, God's with me. He's helping me. Not because he's gone anywhere, but, but it's just it, that you kind of lose that sense of it. And maybe even answered prayer seems to be for other people. We need a reminder. Those losses can make you feel like giving up, right? I mean, we, we don't maybe seriously entertain that. Maybe we do. But, but there's that sense of maybe I just kind of want to scrap this for a while. 
And sometimes in the midst of that dry kind of season, all we can do is ask God to help us see him for who he really is. And sometimes really the the really helpful thing is instead of thinking, I've got to conjure all this stuff up for myself, is to borrow from the testimony of others. This is the, the, the reason, one of the great reasons for Christian community, the reason God has given us one another, is that we need not just our own testimony. We need, we, it, we're helped by the testimony of our brothers and sisters as they walk with God. And so sometimes we need to be able to look and go, man, God's working in their life. Yeah, I want him to maybe do something in my own life that way, but he has done something in my life because he's working through my brother or sister. He's helping them. He's done something that, that we're excited for. This is part of being a body. Is we're told that when another rejoices, we can rejoice with them. And when another is, is in sorrow, we can mourn with them. We can grieve with them. This is part of the way God builds us up, is through the testimony of others. And so don't, don't make light of that and don't lose sight of it. That what God is doing, even in other people's lives, is meant to be an encouragement to you. Here's the second picture. And it, it tells us this, that how we see Jesus determines how we see really everything else. Okay? The second masterpiece image that I want us to look at here is where Jesus was going to reveal his true identity. It's found in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. And Jesus wanted his disciples to see who he really was. And he did it by asking questions. On their way to uh, the villages, uh, they're, they're making their way. Verse 27, it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, they're, they're walking along, and he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Okay. Who do people say I am? He's asking them, hey, what's the, what's the buzz? Right? What's the 411? Right? What, what are people talking about? Um, who do people say I am? And, and here we come to really the crux of the story. This is the essential question that we all have to answer. I mean, he, but, but first Jesus is asking, what, what are people saying? Every one of us has to answer this question. And we asked it at the beginning. What image do you have of Jesus? Because being clear about his identity really is everything. But, but back to Mark, okay? So we do need to answer this question. We're among the people. Who do people say I am? The disciples, they respond to him. And they, uh, they tell Jesus what people are thinking. And so verse 28, you know, they, they say, well, there's all these different ideas. Maybe you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Like they have this idea of like these guys have come back from the dead in a certain sense. Unclear, but, but that's, that's what they have in mind. And Jesus then goes on. And he goes in verse 29, he says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Right? Okay, I get what people are saying, but you've been with me. I mean, they're, they're hearing the reports, they're seeing certain things. But you've been with me. You've seen what I've been doing in, in people's lives. You've seen what I've been doing in your life. You've been around. Who do you say I am? And at this point, who do you think answered? Right? If, if you kind of pay attention to the personalities of the disciples, who do you think is going to speak up? kind of get excited, speak up in that moment? It's Peter. Okay? And his answer is the most definitive declaration of Jesus' true identity. He says to him in verse 29, you are the Messiah. Right? He says, you are the Messiah. 
you are the, the one we've been waiting for. Jesus then affirms Peter's declaration, but he instructs them not to tell anyone. There it is again, right? He's done it before. Don't tell anyone. You say, wait a minute, isn't that the point? You're the Messiah, right? Announce it. Conquer Rome. Inaugurate the kingdom. Take your rightful place as king. And if you're the disciples, right, give us our rightful positions in your kingdom. And then he begins to reveal the kind of king he is. We, we looked at this, but we continue to see it. He's not just any king. And if you want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, right, you, you have to follow the way of the king, right? God's people, his children, the people of his family, we, we do his will. We do what he says is good, because it is. And so as part of his kingdom, we walk in his ways. We trust him at his word. We, we live out the things that he's called us to. He says this, um, in Mark 8.31, uh, though that there's a different way, right? We, we begin to see something specific about the way of the king. It says, He began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. You see, here's one of the ways of the king, and the ways of the kingdom is that it's a kingdom that is uh, lived out, at least in this world, through suffering. It's brought through suffering. But the idea of suffering and death was foreign to them for their Messiah. And frankly, Peter, right, he speaks up again. He's having none of it. So he, he takes Jesus aside. He, you know, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, Jesus, enough of this suffering and death talk, right? It, it's depressing everyone. And more than that, like you're the Messiah, but Jesus seizes the moment, and in the presence of, of all the disciples, he, this time, he, he, I mean, he's done it before, but he rebukes Peter. Listen to what he says, Mark 8, 33. Turning around, looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Why do you think Jesus called out the name of Satan? Why does he call Peter Satan? Why, why is he identifying Peter with Satan. This is his friend. This is one of the guys that's supposed to help carry things forward. It's because the reality was he was the one behind Peter's actions. Satan was, Peter was, had given ground to the enemy in a certain way, and Satan is influencing Peter in this rebuke. I mean, he's rebuking Jesus. And he's doing it because Satan doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. And he tries to use a friend of Jesus to persuade him off mission. And it's not the first time we've looked at this. In Matthew 4, and, and even in Mark, we, we see that Satan tempts Jesus to avoid suffering and death and serve him instead of God. But here, like then, he says to Satan, away from me. Right? He's not going to be tripped up by the, the schemes of the enemy. And the truth is, Satan has, does, and always will try to obscure and soften and outright lie about the true ministry, the true identity of Jesus. Because he doesn't want him, want us to see Jesus for who he really is. Satan wants you to see Jesus in a variety of ways. Right? He wants you to see Jesus as a good man, a moral teacher, a healer, a prophet, one of many ways to God. I'm not making the connection aside from on this larger scale, right? Satan's not behind Siri per se. But if you ask Siri, 
right? What she will tell you about Jesus is Jesus was a Jewish preacher and religious leader, right? I mean, that's, that's who he is. He, he's a religious leader. He's a, the central figure of Christianity. Um, that, that, that's, those are all true things, but there is this, this desire to limit the image of Jesus, to limit who he is, what he's really all about, if you don't know him. And again, what Satan wants us to do is to, to keep things pretty sanitary, to keep things pretty you know, unintrusive, just not, for it not to make much of a difference in our life. But, but Jesus is the Messiah. He's more, right? He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God who came to seek and save the lost, to set people free, who, who suffered, suffered and died to pay for our sins. And he rose from the grave to authenticate that his death was a sufficient payment. And now he's alive and he's inviting whoever will see him for who he is to accept his offer of eternal life. The, the image of Jesus must be clear in our mind and our sight. Do you see it? Right? I mean, we, we need to ask ourselves, do, do we see Jesus for who he really is? I, I want us to go back to that original image. All right, let's look at it. it I, I give you a minute. And if you know how to do this, you kind of have to focus your eyes a certain way. Does, does anybody see the 3D image? Can, have you been able to, either looking at it prior to this or looking at it now, can you see the 3D image in there? I know it's over the, you know, you're looking through a screen and maybe that makes it, uh, there's an extra difficulty there. But here's what you should see, okay? Uh, here's what you should see. If you want, you can go back and, and pause and kind of, you know, look at it later. Um, but here's what you should see. It, it's a shark, okay? It's a shark. There's a shark hidden in that image. And you know why some people can't see it? It's because they're focusing their eyes on the wrong point in the picture. Right? The trick is you have to, point, to focus on a point different from where you're looking. Right? This is known as decoupling your vision process. Instinctively, people focus at the same point that they're looking at. And this is the main obstacle in seeing images of this type. And so you have to be able to decouple. But what is your image of Jesus? Right? What, what obstacle might be keeping you from seeing Jesus clearly. Maybe seeing his true identity for the first time, or, or maybe there's an obstacle just keeping you from really trusting him in, in a situation, trusting him in a, a relationship, trusting him in, in something that he's calling you into or he has put on your plate, right? Responsibilities in which you say, yeah, I, I kind of am going on my own. I'm, I'm going at it alone. I, or Jesus just, I don't think he... He has anything to do with this. But here's the thing. Jesus, again, he, he allows us to see everything if we see him right. Maybe you need to decouple your vision process. To look beyond the cultural images of Jesus. To look past the pain. To look past your limited understanding. To, to be able to see beyond. To ask God to help you see beyond what you've seen to gain wisdom from other people and from different resources that would help you understand something more. To look past the losses, maybe that you blame God for. Maybe there's losses and you've just kind of kept those things in God's lap and, and it's kept you from trusting Him to move forward. Maybe you need to look past your expectations of a, a safe Messiah. Maybe there's kind of this cultural idea that, yeah, I can follow Jesus, but 
He's not really going to demand anything of me. He's not going to really take me as I follow him. Even though he's given me life, he, he, he's not really going to lead my life. He's not going to actually take me somewhere that might be uncomfortable or, or might require me to grow or, or to, to have to understand something differently. Well, that's not the image that he gives us. Maybe you have to even look past your own good works and, and realize that, yeah, it's not bad to, <laughs> to do good things, but our good works, apart from Jesus, don't really help in the long run. They can do some good, but, but really, for us to follow Jesus, we, we can't be keeping him at arm's length with, with our goodness. We can't be self-justifying you know, and expecting him to, to be just glad that we don't you know, require as much time and effort. Right? That, that's not how it works with Jesus. We need to stop, right? perhaps stop looking where you've been looking, where I've been looking. And instead choose to focus on a new point. And it's only as we do that, only as we, we begin to, to see Jesus, look past and, and continue to see him as he truly is, where the true Jesus will really come in to view. I, I hope that will be the case. I hope that as you consider what we've looked at today, you'll go back and, and maybe even read through those, this section of Mark. Maybe start at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Continue to read through and, and ask God to help you see Jesus for who he is. And maybe go to the Lord and ask him this week, God, is, is there a way in which I'm, I'm not seeing you rightly? Will you help me understand maybe how I've, I've put something uh, in the way? Maybe there's, there's an obstacle that's, that's skewing my vision. I'd encourage you. We need a true and, and right view of Jesus, and it's a view that we can find. Right? We may mess up seeing. Right? We can often look without truly seeing. But we can see things the way Jesus sees and the way Jesus intends. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to look into it. I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Give us the ability to um, know Jesus, to understand and really grasp who he is, and what that means for us. God, if, if for my brothers and sisters who have trusted you, or uh, you know, we, we're prone to, to sort of minimizing our vision, and I pray that you would help us to see Jesus rightly, to honor him as he deserves. And, and for my friends who uh, may be watching, who've not yet trusted Jesus for new life, God, I pray that they would see him in all his glory, realize just how good you are and that they would trust Jesus for new life, the life that he offers. God, we thank you. We ask for your help. Uh, help us to move forward and, and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.